0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson.
2: He is Peter Watson, isn't he? I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, this is indeed the Earth 2 Podcast. Now, in our more or less chronological retelling of the pre-crisis DC Comics multiverse, we've reached early 1969. And Mm -hmm. we're using this as the sort of launching pad for what we're doing with this week's episode. Issue 71 of the Justice League of America was published on the 13th of March, 1969. It's an interesting issue because it brings John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, back into the Justice League for this story to basically write him out for really quite a long time. Mm-hmm. He pops up a couple of times, there's an issue World's Finest, there's another issue World's Finest, but for a long, the longest time after this issue of the Justice League, John's not around. And it comes at an interesting point because he's recently stopped co-starring in House of Mystery alongside Robbie Reed's Dilates for Hero, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself there. We'll talk about that in a second. So we're using the publication of Just League of America, Issue 71, and the departure of John Jones to do a couple of stories that are related to everyone's favourite manhunter from Mars. Isn't that right, Pete
1: We certainly are.
2: Awesome. I'm glad we agree. So Pete yes, as is now sort of slightly tradition on the old E2 podcast, when did you first encounter, or what's your earliest memory of encountering John Jones, the Martian Manhunter?
1: I think it was when he was being reintroduced to J.L.A. in the Martian War story, which was round about 220-something or other, I can't remember offhand. There was a a multi-part story there. Yes,
2: there is a cover from that little sequence that I've picked out for some of the bonus content for this episode, so look out for that. Excellent. Yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, actually, no, There was. I think it was the World's Finest story, actually, that was reprinted in a Superman pocketbook, now that I suddenly think about it, which had... John John's on Mars 2. Yes. And Superman was there and there was a different colour sun or something and Superman only had limited powers. And I remember this dramatic pose of Superman with his hand up at his head saying, I've only got, and he lists off some powers. And, he, and we all went, oh no, Superman's <laughs> in trouble because he's he's only just slightly less invulnerable than he was.
2: That's World's Finest 212, is that right?
1: I'm not sure about that's issue because I said I read it initially in, in a reprint.
2: That period in the early seventies when it turned into Superman's team up book.
1: Yes, uh huh. Yeah,
2: we'll be doing a few of those, listeners. See so if you can guess which issues of from that sequence that we're going to be doing.
1: Mm-hmm. What about yourself?
2: Well, I was thinking about this, and I have a feeling it might be the same Superman annual that reprinted the the three part DC Comics Presents story that featured the Martian Manhunter, Supergirl, and the Spectre.
1: A fantastic story that we'll definitely be covering.
2: Yes, I mean, we always, obviously, we talked about that before when we talked about when I first met the Spectre. I don't remember from being around too often in any of the JLA issues Mm -hmm. that I had in the the late 70s. I was mainly a Marvel zombie between 1985 and 1987, but there were a few DC comics that I picked up at that period. Mm -hmm. I would have seen a couple of issues of the Detroit area of Justice League, but also I bought and read as they were arriving – the, the first six issues of the the famous jean Mark DeMatteis, Keith Giffen and Kev Maguire Justice League.
1: Of course, yes.
2: Obviously, that series made a huge uh-huh. use of John Jones. That's merely when I think of. Him. Mm-hmm. This is probably the point to mention that I'm almost caught up to date with the bohaha Justice League International podcast, so which oh, obviously covers all those stories. Mm-hmm. I think I'm about two episodes behind, so it's, but listen to them over the last year or so. So yeah. listeners, that's worth investigating. That's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and obviously John went on to become one of the big hitters when Grant Morrison revived the Justice League in the, the 90s. And Absolutely, yeah. Was obviously a member of the Justice League cartoon, indeed. Yes, it became quite visible, and it he's been used obviously in the CW and the Arrowverse and all that. And,
1: and Zack Snyder's Justice League as well.
2: Yes, I was. I was about to to mention that sadly (laughs) (laughs) I think his modern continuity has got a bit sort of convoluted I think he's been killed off two or three times in the 2000s and brought back and then killed off again and so I've kind of lost track of what he's up to now yeah yeah
1: when people talk about John Johns, they often throw in the phrase the heart of the Justice League, but I really don't give any credence to that, because basically for the Bronze Age he was missing yes. from the lineup for way over 100 issues. Yeah, He was away and came back. He's not someone that's been there all the way through. There's
2: that famous chess playing cover when it's him against Despero.
1: Yes, I have it. 178, I think.
2: Yeah, which I don't have listeners, so you won't see that on Instagram next week. I do. <laughs> but... I think that this heart of the Justice League thing comes from the way he was treated in the, the aforementioned Giffen Dematteis sort of series. You know, he was. I would
1: entirely agree. Yes, because uh-huh.
2: that was a good five years or so, pretty solidly. And then you know, yeah, Mark and Keith left, and then Jurgens and the guy that we don't talk about anymore took over the the writing. Mm. There was all that in, re, really interesting stuff with Bloodwind. Do you remember all that?
1: Of course. Is he John? Is he not John? Oh, that was ah, fascinating.
2: Yes. But as I was saying, I've kind of lost track with him nowadays, which is a shame. I remember that when the, the New 52 was happening, they made him a member of Stormwatch.
1: Yeah, I was really disappointed.
2: And then, But they also had him in one of the other Justice League books. It's kind of strange, but I think he's a well-loved and a popular character. You know, There's the two stories we're doing today. Mm-hmm. We're doing one story from John's regular ongoing series in House of Mystery, but we'll tell you about that in a little while. But before that, we're doing a story from issue 78 of Batman. So this is good because it means Pete's gets to do his Adam West voice again, because we've not had that for a long time. Excellent. Issue 78 of Batman, published on the nineteenth of June, 1953. Now, this is quite a well-known story. This isn't one of these myth-shattering, you know, hidden nuggets that we've dug out, like the, the Doom Patrol story from G.I. Combat, for example. This is, sure. this is quite a well-known story, but it's worth doing because John Jones, the character that we all know and love, he didn't appear properly until Detective Comics issue 225. Which came out in September nineteen fifty five, but this story we, we're doing today is from a couple of years before that, and it's very, very interesting. PC, do you want to tell everyone about the cover to issue seventy eight of Batman?
1: Yes, the cover is a lovely winter forest scene. We have Batman and Robin skiing downhill into a woodland area. There's a full moon in the background. Take a drink, and we have a mountie <laughs> yes. who looks like he's been shot, and there's a couple of of ruffians who are wearing kind of like lumberjack almost outfits. And they're armed, and there's a horse running off in the background. Oh, no. And there's a shield on the cover that says, Featuring Batman of the Mounties. And that's not the story we're covering.
2: <laughs> no, it's not the story we're doing. I quite like it. I <laughs> quite like it we throw out these curveballs. <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> yes. Several stories in this issue, Batman, but the one we are doing, well, we'll tell you about that in a second. The opening splash panel of this adventure that we're doing Massive Batman with Robin, the Boy Wonder logo, and, and that little by Bob Kane side caption, which is a load of nonsense, if you ask me. Yep. And it's a very interesting opening splash image, because what we see is Batman, who appears to be wearing some kind of rocket pack, flying after a chap who has green skin, wearing a purple short outfit. He has purple boots mm-hmm. with a little gold. The Buccaneer bits that you get on the Marvel guys in the 70s, they're gold. He's wearing yellow gloves. He's an X marked on his forehead. He's also wearing a rocket pack. But sort of overlooking them and attached to the opening scene-setting caption box is another green-skinned figure wearing shades and a big hat and a coat with a collar up and a scarf. What's going on with him, I wonder? And the massive opening caption box says...
0: Across Gotham City, there falls an alien, sinister shadow from outside. The mysterious menace of a cryptic criminal who challenges Batman and Robin to a supreme struggle. And... When the great detective duo fights crime that is really from out of this world, they need not only their own genius, but also the skillful help of... The, the Manhunter, Manhunter from, from Mars.
2: Mars. Wowza. How exciting.
1: I must say that the green figure flying in this splash page looks like a cross between the Martian Manhunter and Adam Strange.
2: Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to comment on his mild resemblance to Dimension Man.
1: Oh, he looks a bit like Dimension Man as well, yeah. But I would say, you know, it's almost like he's wearing half the costume of Adam Strange, yeah.
2: I completely get what you're saying. And the sort of goggles that he's wearing make him look a bit poindextery. It's like a poindextery green child <laughs> cosplaying as a cheap Adam Strange. <laughs> <laughs> if you can picture that, listeners. Picture that, yes. if you will. <laughs> Jake, show me <Phantom. laughs> Yes, it's been ages since we've done an old Batman story, so I'm quite looking forward to this. Yeah, this me too. Should, This should be a lot of fun. So the story proper begins. The caption for the first panel on page two says,
0: The most formidable criminal ever to strike at Gotham City was known only by a name of mystery.
2: Yes, we have a very helpful Maison Scene style signage hanging in the back of this panel that says, that Gotham Gun Company Incorporated. There's a couple of chaps there, obviously work there. There's one older man. White hair and his shirt sleeves rolled up with a watch showing very interesting, and there's another guy in a blue pinstripe suit who's holding his hands up because another figure who is a large bulky chap wearing an overcoat and shades and appears to have green skin and has a large white wide-brimmed hat on is holding a gun at him. The guy in the blue pinstripe suit says, "Yeah, you're that incredible new bandit, the stranger." And the uh, almost masked but we'll just say shaded and wrapped up figure replies, "Yes." And I'm going into your vault. Nobody move. Caption for the next panel.
0: But as the strange robber enters the vault, the clerk's foot presses a hidden button.
2: Yes. There's a tiny insert panel showing the foot pressing down on the button on the floor. And the caption continues.
0: And within minutes...
2: A couple of policemen arrive, bursting through the door of the Gotham Gun Company. The first cop says, We heard the alarm. What is it? The the stranger, replies the clerk. He's in our vault. Caption for panel three.
0: Yet, when the armed policemen enter the vault...
2: Yes, we see well. there's lots of paper thrown about the floor. The cops look a bit amused. And our chief cop says... The stranger isn't in here. He got away somehow. But how could he? He never came out of the vault, says the clerk. And he's stolen not only money, but our new machine pistol model. This is weird. Unearthly. Gosh, very interesting. Caption for panel four. There's a lot of captions for this one, listeners.
0: Yes. Unearthly is the only word to describe this new crime genius who constantly baffles the police. And presently, as an eerie signal flashes across the twilight sky...
2: It's a very interesting panel. We see Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne with an elderly lady who's holding what looks either to be a large amount of cash or a large cheque. It's not too clear what I'm reading. As the caption says, the bat signal is being displayed in the background and... Well, this lady is taking possession of the cash or the cheque from Bruce Wayne, she's saying, Oh, Mr. Wayne, thank you so much for your charity contribution, Bruce replies.
0: It's uh, nothing. I'm always glad to... to...
2: And then he notices what's happening in the sky behind us, old lady, and he thinks,
0: The bat signal. We're wanted at headquarters. Swiftly, Playboy Bruce Wayne and his young ward Dick Grayson race to a tunnel beneath their mansion where they undergo a startling change of garb.
2: Yes, for we see Batman and Robin hurtling along the rocky tunnel. Robin says, Wonder what the commissioner wants Batman and Robin for this time?
0: I've a hunch the stranger must have struck again.
2: wonder if at any point they refer to him as a phantom stranger. That would be quite funny. Gosh. The caption then for the final panel of page two says,
0: Shortly, in the office of Police Commissioner Gordon...
2: It's true. I tell you, he robbed the gun company of money and a powerful new gun model, then vanished. Commissioner's chewing a pipe there. Don't smoke, kids, it's bad for you. Batman says...
1: Queer. How he always steals powerful weapons as well as other loot when he commits his robberies.
2: The conversation continues then at the top of the next page.
1: From all indications, this stranger is some thwarted scientific genius using his knowledge for crime... Nothing else could explain the incredible things he's done.
2: Like the time two days ago, when he appeared from inside a locked armoured car and stunned the surprised guards. Now the next panel has a flashback ripple and is narrated by Robin the Boy Wonder. He grabbed not only gold, but the guards' powerful new Tommy guns. And when Batman and I charged after him, and this panel shows the armoured car with the doors open at the back, and the guard lying on the ground, and the coated and hatted figure of the stranger making his escape, and as Batman and Robin give pursuit, Robin says, He's run into the Transformer yard of that power plant, and there's no other way out of it. We've got him trapped.
0: You got this entrance.
2: I'll go after him. The boy wonder narrates the next panel, saying, But in the next moment, there's another fantastic panel. It looks like Batman's in a hole, or a pet, yes. <laughs> actually looking upwards. Batman says,
0: Huh?
1: That, that wall's about 60 feet high, yet he scaled it like a human fly.
2: And we can see the silhouetted figure of the stranger leaping onto the roof and running away. The human fly, of course, was a fascinating Marvel comic published in the 1970s. Maybe mm-hmm. when we finish the Off 2 podcast and finished our Dial H for Hero podcast that we might do afterwards, maybe we'll do the human fly, or maybe someone else will.
1: I think someone has done a human fly podcast.
2: I would listen to that podcast. I can investigate. <laughs> I remember getting the issue of that comic when I was really, when I about 12 or 13 in my, in my initial Marvel zombie yeah. phase and just being absolutely fascinated by it. Mm. But there was no internet in those days or anything to, to go and look up and
1: find, find out
2: more information. Yeah. So you just had to kind of take it that he was real. Anyway, back to the story. The rippling panel effect vanishes and we're back in Commissioner Gordon's office as Robin says. And that's only one of the stranger's amazing stunts. I know, says the commissioner. And the man's incredible feats have us baffled. He must be caught.
1: Hmm. If we knew who he was, it might help us trap him. He first appeared in a village up in the hills.
0: Let's go there, Robin, and try to trace him back to his origin. Tremendous. And so, on a trail destined to lead them into a fantastic mystery, the two friends fly north in their Batplane to a village high in the wooded hills.
2: Yes, we don't see the Batplane, sadly. What we do see, though, is Batman and Robin in this nice wooded... Valley, we can see a general store in the background, but they're conversing with a man wearing a big warm-looking coat and a big hat and a big moustache. And he says, Yes, the stranger pulled his first robbery here. He came out of those deep woods, though nobody
0: lives there. Batman says, Don't be too sure of that. Come on, Robin, we're taking off again. Awesome. Final panel of page three. And as the bat winged craft sweeps like a searching bird of prey over deep, uninhabited forest. The Batplane soars, and from inside we
2: hear Robin's voice saying, But if the stranger has any hideout in these woods, we couldn't see it anyhow, Batman.
0: No, but the gadget I hung underneath the Batplane is a bigger version of the landmine detector used in warfare. If he has a hidden base, it must contain metal, and this'll show it. In fact, Look, it's recording something below us right now. Gosh, top of page four now. Immediately, the caped crime busters land in a clearing, only to be greeted by a startling sight.
2: Yes, in the middle of this wooded area, they've made a very, very interesting discovery. What looks like a small, red, almost submersible type. In fact, it reminds me of the toy bat boat I had when I was a kid, but anyway. Hey, hey. Robin says, "What? Why, this is no hideout. It looks like a flying craft of some sort. Like a small spaceship.
0: Impossible. Or is it? Let's take a look inside.
2: Caption for panel two.
0: But when they try to open the doors of the strange vessel...
2: Yes, we get a much better look at the, the machine here. There's a big red fin on the top, a couple of fins at the side, viewing glass at the front, a hatchway on the side. Batman says...
0: What sort of metal is this? Our tools can't even dent it. Can this thing really come from some other planet? Yeah, It kind of looks
2: like Batman's maybe struggling with a crowbar there. It's not too clear. Robin replies, Batman, listen! That low throbbing! Something's coming down out of the sky!
0: Hastily, the duo hides and watches!
2: And very helpfully, Robin says what we see. Another of them! And it is a spaceship! What kind of mystery have we stumbled into? Sure enough, another of the red-finned flying devices is scooting along in front of them. Batman replies to the boy wonder, saying...
0: If this is an accomplice of the stranger who just arrived, we are in time. We can grab him when he comes out. Hook your rope to this tree and get ready. And as the newly arrived ship opens, two shadowy figures swoop down. A hatchway is open in
2: this newly arrived space vehicle and emerging from the machine is the green Adam Strange Martian Manhunter Poindexter guy who we described from the splash panel. As he steps out, Robin... Leaps from the top of the ship, by the looks of it, and grabs him by the shoulders, saying, "Got him! Now! To Batman! He's not human!
0: Hold him! Don't let him use any of his weapons! Caption
2: for the next panel says,
0: But when their weird prisoner speaks, a stunning surprise! Very annoyingly, Batman's the first person to speak in this panel when he says, Why, you speak our
1: language!
2: And the green goggle-wearing figure says,
1: Yes, Batman, we Martians are quite familiar with your great career. You mean, you're from Mars? Says the boy wonder. Exactly. We've kept our scientific civilization secret from New Earth inhabitants because we want to keep our peaceful world unchanged. Only to pursue a dangerous Martian criminal have I, Rokar, first lawman of Mars, come to Earth. Gosh. So as
2: we arrive at the top of page 5, we're back into flashback territory as the new arrival, Rokar, narrates the next few panels.
1: You see, our televisioscopes have long enabled us to watch events on Earth.
2: That's an interesting panel. It puts me in mind of that Superboy story we did last year.
1: Oh yes, uh uh-huh. There's
2: a large piece of blue equipment, there's a large screen on it, which we can see Batman and Robin swinging along. Three Martians are standing watching them, and Rokar is one of the Martians
1: and he says... This Batman of Earth is surely the greatest lawman of the universe. And the second Martian says,
2: You too are great, Rokar. But there is so little crime on Mars, you have small chance to prove it. Rokar's narration continues,
1: Yes, we have little crime on peaceful Mars. Weapons are almost unknown there, all of which enable the distorted genius named Quark to embark on a career of evil.
2: Yes, we see Quark in this panel quite clearly. He's wearing a similar outfit to what Rokar wears, but there's an almost pixie boot-type quality to his footwear. His ears look bigger, and his nose looks a bit more pinchy. He looks a bit more like the Green Goblin.
1: Yeah, very much so, huh?
2: Than anything else, the Spider-Man villain. This panel shows Quark making his escape from a scene of Martian crime, and as he soars away using his rocket pack, he taunts his victim, saying, Ha-ha! The invisibility belt I stole made it easy to rob that merchant! and with this personal flight jet unit, I can get away fast. Now, the man who runs the establishment, he is yelling, Rokar, that robber is escaping! Very helpfully, Rokar, who we immediately can recognise because of the, the X on his on his hat, his helmet, his mask, he is saying,
1: Don't worry, I'll catch up with him.
2: The next panel is a wide shot of a vast red Martian landscape, and the narration continues,
1: saying, I followed Quark's evil trail all across our desert world to the southern canal cities.
2: Yeah, the canal appears to be a kind of big black waterway, very dark-looking water, very scary. There's a, a city in the background that looks like the Dalek city from the first story they <laughs> appeared in Doctor <laughs> Who, which is fascinating. Yes. And there's a little boat, it looks like, parked on a little beach, and there's two small stick figures, one of whom appears to be Rokar, and one of whom is probably someone else. Now, the someone else is saying, yes. Quark went toward the Space Research Center. He appears to be gesturing, and Wokar's small, tiny matchstick figure replies,
1: I knew I'd overtake him. I'll soon have him.
2: Oh. narration continues in the next panel.
1: But Quark, desperately seeking to evade capture, had used his stolen scientific instruments to break into the Research Center, and...
2: Yes, we're inside the, the research centre in this panel and we can see lots of tall, elaborate buildings in the background. They look like mosque temple buildings, actually, to be honest. In the foreground, there's a bespectacled, mustachioed, green-skinned Martian figure mm-hmm. who looks very much like Gary, who works in Forbidden Planet Glasgow.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Who looks very much like Dan Didido, formerly of DC Comics. And, <laughs> and he very helpfully points out what's going on. He stole one of our secret experimental spaceships and has taken off. And we can see almost like an orange paper airplane, really, in this panel. It looks yeah. like the way it's, it's drawn. But it's the same style of ship that we saw Batman and Robin investigating. It's flying off with a cloud of smoke behind. And Rokar observes this and says,
1: Quick, make ready another ship as soon as possible. He must be heading for Earth, the only other planet with an atmosphere similar to ours. It's so a return to Earth in this next panel. Rokar is saying to Batman, My detection instruments finally let me here to Quark's hidden ship. He must be caught before he uses Martian science to commit crime on Earth. Batman replies, He's
0: already doing so. This explains those incredible crimes. The stranger must be Quark. Well, together we should be able to catch him.
2: I quite like the next panel. It's a close-up of the gloved hands of of Rokar and Batman as they shake
1: hands. And Rokar says, To work with the great Batman on a case will be an honour, but it must be kept secret. We don't want Earth people to learn of our Martian civilization yet. I always cooperate with
0: legal authority, and you're the lawman of Mars. I agree.
1: The
2: final panel, page five, shows Rokar. Well, he's come over all a quiver. He fogs back against the spaceship, saying,
1: "I will have to be careful, though. the The rich oxygen of Earth's atmosphere makes me dizzy after the thin air of desert Mars." A concerned
2: Batman leans forward and says,
1: "Yes." But if you breathe lightly till you get
0: used to the changed air, you'll be all right.
2: Fantastic. Top of page six now. Caption for the first panel there says,
0: Then as the Martian sleuth brings forth his mass of scientific detection devices.
2: Yes, you see the, again a very poindexy looking car standing in the doorway of his spaceship holding a bag full of gubbins. And he says to Batman,
1: We'll take these things with us in your Batplane and I'll leave my own ship here. Locked, Bats replies. Good
0: idea. We'll help you load them into the Batplane. Panel 2 then. So, leaving the locked spaceships hidden, the most unusual trio of detectives in history soon fly south toward Gotham City. So there's a
2: cracking shot of the Batplane scooting through the air. We hear Batman's voice as he says...
0: Locating Quark won't be easy. The only lead we have is that he always seems
1: to steal weapons along with his other loot. Yes, he always takes things to use for future crimes, but this human compass will lead us to him, Batman. A human
2: compass. Wow, that's exciting. The human compass. Close friend of the human bomb
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: the human torch. Yes. Coming soon from Davy and Pizzy Comics. Now, the next panel is a fascinating one. It's an insert panel of this aforementioned compass, and we get an inset shot
1: of Rokar explaining how it works. You see, every human brain radiates a faint electric wave, and brain waves, like fingerprints, are never the same in different people. This compass is tuned to Quark's wave and is now pointing directly toward him. Gosh.
2: Another inset panel of Robin has the boy wonder exclaiming, Wow, you Martians sure have some terrific sleuthing
0: gadgets. And as the amazing instrument leads them toward the heart of the city...
2: He has a great shot of the bat plane flying overhead. From inside the airplane, we hear Rokar
1: saying... Quark must be here. What building is this?
0: Science Hall, Rokar. Where the Scientific Society is holding its annual convention right now. There are always scientific exhibits on its balcony at this time, and that's what Quark's probably after.
2: We reach the bottom of page six now. caption for the next panel
0: says... Moments later, as scientists listen to a learned address, unaware of the drama taking place on the broad balcony above them.
2: Yes, this looks like a massive auditorium. We're standing on a stage with a figure who looks a- kind of reminds me of Abraham Lincoln, wearing a an evening coat and striped trousers. Mm-hmm. Fascinatingly, there's a big sign behind him that says, Lecture on Life on Mars. <laughs> oh. So he's either talking about the, the popular 2000s police series starring John Sim. Or he's talking about the very famous David Bowie song, or maybe he's talking about something else entirely. But anyway, <laughs> this figure is standing with his finger in the air. The audience are obviously wrapped as he's saying, My lecture tonight is entitled, Is There Life on Mars? I intend to prove scientifically that life on Mars is impossible. And then this next panel at the bottom of page six, you see that second line of dialogue from We're way, way up in the gods of the theatre with Batman and Robin and Rokar and a couple of boxes open in front of them. Robin is looking into one of these boxes and saying, look, those cases marked new radium isotopes and super anesthetic gas have been looted, but Quark isn't here. And whether I look into these boxes in the same panel, we see that suddenly Rokar's human compass flies from his hand and with a crash, gets smashed on the ground. Rokar very quickly
1: says, he is here wearing a Martian invisibility halo. He just smashed my human compass.
2: Yeah, that panel reads much better than we can tell it, listeners, unfortunately. Sorry about that.
0: (laughs) Top of page seven now. The first caption says... Spotting a nearby ventilating fan, the resourceful Batman acts swiftly. Very helpfully, Batman
2: kind of explains what's going on here when he says...
0: This harmless dust from one of the exhibits should outline him if he's here.
2: Yes, Bats has thrown the dust into the path of the fan, which has created a big cloud... And what we can see looming behind Robin and Rokar is the hatted and overcoated figure of Quark the Stranger. The boy wonder cries, There he is! Look out, Rokar!
0: Caption for the next panel. And as dust makes an unseen figure vaguely visible, the boy wonder leaps to save the Martian Manhunter.
2: Wow! Now is that the first use of that phrase in a comic book ever? That's fascinating. I believe so. Gosh, that's exciting. There you go, listeners. We might put that one on the socials. However, as Robin leaps forward to protect Rokar, he gets struck on the back of the head by Quark, and Robin just manages to say, Oof, everything going black. Rokar says, He took the blow meant for me. The caption then for panel three very excitingly
0: says, Then instantly the criminal switches off his invisibility belt and...
2: Yes, the stranger quark is revealed. We can see his hat. We can see his overcoat. He grabs at Robin, saying, Hold it. So you came after me to Earth, eh, Rokar? Well, neither of you move, or this Earth brat will die. I'm going out of here with him. Rokar and Batman lunge forward, Batman thinking, Can't
0: risk Robin's life. He's unconscious, and this Martian mobster is merciless.
2: Well done, Peepsie. We can see the fan, actually, that Batman made use of in the previous panel. Mm -hmm. It's stuck in the wall above. That's quite an interesting detail. Anyway, panel four is captioned.
0: At that instant, Rokar steps forward, his hand moving deftly.
2: Yes, and a very interesting circular insert panel detail shows us that Rokar has slipped something into
1: Quark's pocket. Rokar says, I can't let you take that lad. He was
0: stunned saving me.
2: Get back, or I'll... Says Quark, obviously threatening Robin. Batman pipes in with...
0: Easy, Rokar. We've got to let him go. The bottom
2: sequence of panels on page 7 now. The caption for the first panel here says... Thus
0: I meet. The greatest detectives of two worlds are helpless to prevent a getaway. Detectives of two worlds. Ooh, that's
2: (laughs) interesting, isn't it? This panel shows a very large, fancy yellow car. And Quark has taken Robin, got into it, and he's driving off, saying... (laughs) Ha ha! This is a real triumph, defeating both the Lawman of Mars and Batman of Earth together.
0: While up on the roof...
2: A very moody panel here. see a full moon looming in the background as the silhouettes of Batman and Rokar stand on the, the roof of the science hall. Batman is saying,
0: We don't know where he's gone
1: and we can't search for him in the Batplane because he'll kill Robin on the spot if he saw us coming after him. Perhaps we can trace where he's gone with the aid of Martian science and your Earth knowledge. Look.
2: And the first panel of page 8 shows that Rokar has produced a handheld device of some kind. And he continues saying.
1: Unseen by Quark, I dropped an ear into his pocket. It's a tiny Martian detective phone device which broadcasts every sound around it to this receiver.
2: Batman looks very thoughtful and he exclaims.
1: Amazing. Let's see what we can
0: hear from it.
2: Now, the next panel is very interesting. There's a sort of insert of the pocket of Quark, which is captioned.
0: And from the hidden ear in the pocket of the unsuspecting criminal, revealing sounds are transmitted to the tense team of Manhunters.
2: Yes, it's a great shot of Rokar and Batman. The Rokar doesn't do Rokar any favours, <laughs> this panel, actually. kind of looks like, um, what if Eddie Marzan was playing a Martian wearing red sunglasses?
1: <laughs> very much so.
2: It's quite amusing. Rokar's holding up his little receiver device and he's saying,
1: I can make nothing of the sounds I hear. Batman says, I can. That's the sound of tugboat whistles, which means they're crossing a bridge. And those locomotive noises mean railway tracks. He must be driving across West Bridge.
2: Fantastic. The caption for the next panel. With
0: each passing sound, Batman's quick mind registers a new location.
2: And this panel shows his point of view from above the Batplane. Batman's on his knees, scrabbling away in a map. Rokar is listening away, and Rokar says,
1: Now his car motor is labouring uphill, and there's a loud sound of machinery crushing rock. The Dark Knight replies, The rock quarry on Granite Hill. That's where they are, and beyond it, on that same road is the testing range used by the company that makes guided missile bombs.
2: Good grief. They're both on their feet in the next panel. Batman's saying.
1: He's always stolen powerful weapons and must be planning to grab some of those missile bombs now. But if he sees the bat plane coming after him, he'll finish Robin. Rokar replies, We can get there without being seen, using these personal jet flight units. Quick, strap one on. I'll show you how to operate it.
2: Rokar's is holding up. They just basically look like three little cylinders with straps on them. Mm-hmm. Just attached. So this is obviously leading up to what we saw in the opening splash panel. The caption then for the next panel says,
0: And soon, up into the gathering dusk, soar
2: two weird shapes. And this is a great panel. This is definitely going on the socials. A, a massive, enormous, huge, possibly the biggest full moon we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Certainly the biggest since the heady days of Murphy Anderson's Showcase 55. A full moon looms in the background as... Two figures. Take flight. Rokar says,
1: That's it. Use the controls in your hand to alter direction by shifting the jets. You're doing fine. Batman says, I must really look like a flying Batman in this outfit.
2: (laughs) Yes, you really must, my friend. Final panel of page eight, then, is captioned.
0: Minutes later, as the two flying manhunters sweep stealthily down toward the isolated missile range, another little zoom...
2: Sound effect from Rokar's backpack as they fly down towards this building. Rokar says,
1: Quark must have used his invisibility belt to sneak in and knock out everyone here.
2: Yes, because we can see a figure lying on the ground, presumably that's some kind of guard that's been knocked unconscious. Batman says,
0: If he's after missile bombs, he'll be at that hangar. We'd better steal up on foot.
2: We arrive at the top of page nine now a massive panel. Very, very exciting, as captioned.
0: And at the hangar, where deadly weapons await testing.
2: Yes, very helpfully. We get some see see dialogue from Rokar, who almost looks though he's kneeling down here. Mm-hmm. Very unusual.
1: Maybe he's doing a power landing, like they do in all the Marvel movies.
2: That's possible.
1: Where you land on one knee and do the thump on the ground.
2: Like Iron Man or Black Widow or someone.
1: Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Rokar says, Good grief, there's Robin tied to that big missile. Quark must have done this before the lad came too, in case we followed.
2: Yes, so we see Robin tied to a very phallic-looking missile, and there's oil drums that's attached to a gantry. There's a big hangar building behind him. Batman says,
0: And the control that fires the missile is inside the hangar.
2: next panel, Rokar and Batman have crept up to a window on the side of the hangar building. And they're peering through, and they can see Quark, still wearing his overcoat and his suit and his hat and all that stuff, carrying something.
1: And Rokar says, He can fire that big missile and destroy Robin before we can even grab him. Wait, we've still a chance to trick him. Experimental stations like this contain tanks filled with all
0: sorts of chemicals. Come on, I've got an idea.
1: Interesting.
2: A slow dissolve for panel three, a caption says,
0: What is Batman planning? Some minutes later...
2: We're inside the hangar. We see the stranger, Quark, still wearing his coat and his suit. Standing next to a big fancy bit of equipment. What looks like a pile of missiles or other bombs on the other side of the equipment. Batman, car entering. Quark says, So you did follow. If you take one step nearer, Batman, that missile carries your young friend to his doom.
0: I... I guess he's outsmarted us,
1: Ro. We can't do anything.
2: A very odd small panel with a huge amount of dialogue here. Quark is saying, Ha ha! The greatest detectives of two worlds cannot outwit Quark. I'm taking all the weapons I've stolen back to Mars, and with them I'll
1: loot the whole planet, Rokar says. So, that is your plan. It's diabolical to take weapons to peaceful Mars. Diabolical? (laughs) Ha 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 ha! It's wonderful to think I've made such fools of Batman and
2: Rokar! (laughs) Ha 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 ha! Laughs the evil Martian fiend. Batman is thinking,
1: It's working! He's becoming slap happy just a few seconds more.
2: Slap happy was a B-side by menswear contemporaries Echo Belly. There you go. The caption for the final panel of page nine says,
0: Abruptly, the wildly laughing criminal staggers.
2: We see Quark stumbling forward, his hat falls from his head, and we see that he was the same sort of helmet mask gear that we saw on the other Martians. He says, Ah, what's come over me? I feel dizzy. Trunk, everything's spinning. Batman moves forward, saying,
0: Just as I hoped, pure oxygen is
1: pouring in through the window from a tank I'd set up there and causing you oxygen intoxication.
2: Gosh, that's clever, Batman.
1: Your Martian lungs can't stand so much oxygen, and that gives me my chance.
2: And we arrive on the final page of the story now, as Rokar says,
1: Your trick worked, Batman. I breathed only in little gasps as you instructed, and I wasn't affected, but it dizzied Quark long enough.
2: A massive roar! Sound effect dominates proceedings now as Quark replies to Rokar, saying, No, you haven't won. Hear that roar? I also had a time fuse set to detonate the missile outside after I was gone, and it's going up now. With your young friend. The next panels are shot from outside of the hangar. From inside, Rokar's voice can be heard saying, He double-crossed us after all, Batman. Yeah, and Batman replies saying,
0: Hold him, Rokar. These missiles start slowly, and that gives me one chance to save Robin. And as the deadly missile roars majestically upward, a jet-powered human form streaks beside it.
2: Yes, we hear the roar of the massive engines of the, the rocket. As it soars through the sky, we see, see Robin tied to it, Batman and his jetpack fly up alongside. The boy wonder cries, Batman,
0: save yourself! No chance for me! If you go, we go together, Robin. I've got you loose now, and my jet unit can let us both down safely. Phew! The caption for the next panel. Seconds later, far out on the testing
2: range. We see our four main protagonists in silhouettes. A massive explosion, massive boom, goes off in the sky. So that was close. Well done, Batman, in the nick of time. The silhouette of Robin
1: says, I'd have been in that blast if it weren't for you, Batman. Rokar says, We're going back to Mars, criminal. You'll never escape from the moon prison there. Yes,
2: we see he's got a hold of Quark by the scruff of the neck. A slow fade then. The next panel
0: captioned, and so, presently, as the lawman of Mars goes back into the sky... Yes, a full moon looms in the background as Rokar's ship
2: takes flight. Robin helpfully informs us that he's towing back the ship Quarkstow. Yes, yeah, so we can see the vessel being drawn along behind, Batman says.
0: Guess nobody would ever believe this case if we told the true story.
2: And the caption for the final panel of the story says...
0: Thus, back in the commissioner's office an hour later...
2: Commissioner Gordon, still chomping away in his pipe, is saying, You're positive you will put an end to the stranger's crimes, eh, bad man? Excellent. But it's too bad you couldn't bring him
0: in personally. Well, sir, we can't always be perfect.
2: And a little smirking Robin closes out proceedings and a caption says, The "The end." End. Well then, Gosh. the first Manhunter from Mars. Very exciting. Mm, now, yes. I suppose this is technically the Batman and the Robin of Earth 2 at this point, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I would say it's more likely to be the Batman and Robin of Earth 2, which means that this is the Earth 2 Martian Manhunter.
2: A very fun little story, that. Yes. It took us a little while to get through, but it's quite chewy. My main sort of takeaway, if you were to look at the splash, I think if you were a modern comics reader and you were looking at the splash panel mm-hmm. and you saw the figure with his big hat and his sunglasses and his big coat yeah. and then Batman flying after the other guy, you could be forgiven for thinking that the figure in the hat and the big coat, he was the Martian Manhunter and the other guy was the baddie. Yeah, Because that looks very much like the sort of disguise you can imagine.
1: John Jones wearing, yeah.
2: Putting, but actually, I mean, it also reminds me a little bit of the way the Thing would disguise himself in a lot of stories.
1: Yes, very much in so, Marvel, huh?
2: you know, with the, the, the hat and the big yeah. coat. Call her yeah, collar up. Yeah. The first time mm-hmm. I saw the splash panel, I think it was some point in the last couple of years. Bleeding Cool did a story about it because I think an issue, the, the, a copy of the comic was up for an auction or something. So that's was—I think—I first became aware of this story. I kind of just assumed, seeing that figure, that that would be mm-hmm. the the equivalent Earth Two version of John Jones. Yeah. And if you think about what the detective John Jones in his sort of human form in the Martian Manhunter solo stories looks like, that's not really too much of an extrapolation to make. I think. Yeah. You know, with hat and coat and all that sort of stuff.
1: So in general, how did you feel about the story aside from the whole Martian Manhunter aspect?
2: It was a fine, just little disposable knockabout Batman story. Really, there's not too much to it. I like the fact that they quickly became pals with this chap from Mars. They just took it in their stride. They went fast, you know.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> what about yourself? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It's quite simple, quite disposable, but also it's very much a combination of the like the 50s sci-fi Batman that we usually get, yeah, and some actual. Earthbound detective work. Yes. It's quite good. And I also always like Batman teaming up with, you know, someone else. That's one of the reasons why I love Brave and Bold, Uh even with Robin and Toe. It was great. Yeah, it's so much fun.
2: It's an interesting curio because it's published, obviously, before the Earth 2 concept was made Mm -hmm. popular. It's published a couple of years before the actual Manhunter from Mars character that we all know and love. So it's definitely worth covering, I think, from that historical point of view. I mean, I think you'd be stretched to honestly say that it was a kind of tryout or a pilot for John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that the term Martian Manhunter was used there. That's fascinating just to notice because that's something, that's generally how I think of the character, you know, of, of John. I mean, that's the yeah. name of his his 80s miniseries. That was the name of his turn-of-the-century ongoing series by John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that. So, you know, the name must have yeah. stuck in someone's mind, I think, for, the, you know, for them to essentially use it again.
1: Here's the thing. So this story was written by Edmund Hamilton, who, as well as being a comic writer, is a well-known sci-fi writer. Right. And the penciler was Lou Schwartz. Now, do you know who created Martian Manhunter, the one that we all know and love? Oh,
2: off the top of my head,
1: no. No, because that's the thing. I, I genuinely had blanked in that as well, so I had to look it up. Right. The writer was Joseph Samachin, and the artist was Joe Serta. I must admit, they were kind of blanks to me i wasn't really aware of their work
2: i don't recognize them at all either to be honest
1: and i'm wondering if one of the one or both or maybe editorial read this story and thought hang on there's potential there let's see what we can do and bearing in mind martian manhunter debuted before the barry allen flash did exactly a lot of people argue that ushered in the silver age as opposed to showcase number four where barry flash debuted
2: that's a good point I remember having the the argument with someone many many years ago that John Jones was the first Silver Age superhero properly you know because he appeared mm-hmm. before before Barry, but then you could also talk about Captain Comet mm-hmm. when he first appeared and what that sort of means it's it's quite a foggy one I think you have to really say that it's Barry because he was the you know a revival of a of a motif you know of a character with you know a bit a but rebooted and changed and all
1: that a previously well established character, yeah
2: yeah. It is significant, and it's definitely worth pointing out that John Jones does precede him. Mm -hmm. Did you read the miniseries Martian Manhunter American Secrets when it came out in the 90s?
1: Uh, Yes, I did, but I've not read it since.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I read it quite a few times. I really enjoyed it, especially because it was a cameo from Doctor Midnight. That was fun because it had that whole sort of reds under the bed, real fear about Martians in America at that time. And I think obviously Mm -hmm. John Jones, Martian Manhunter played on that a little bit.
1: Indeed, yeah. We had the whole Orson Welles, War of the Worlds radio drama and all that, yeah.
2: That was a good bit earlier. That was pre-World War II, wasn't
1: it? Oh, yeah, but that's, you know, it never really went away.
2: You know, think of all the films that reference Martians as baddies. And Mars Attacks, the famous trading card series, obviously. So it's it's interesting in some ways that having a a Martian superhero is obviously counter to what the general sort of prevailing attitude was, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. There's nothing to say that in theory this couldn't be... Taking place on Earth 1 because it could be another settlement of Martians. Yeah. Because it's still green skinned. They look similar enough. Yeah. He doesn't turn invisible, but he's got an invisibility cloak, so the, the powers are, are similar.
2: Yeah. There is the sort of cross strap type aspect of their costume, yeah. which is quite similar to what John Jones wore. You could argue, it, I suppose, maybe.
1: So it is possible. However, it is far more likely to be in, on Earth too But, you know. Just throwing that out there, just you know, for the sake of discussion. Yeah, it's a nice idea
2: to think about it being in Earth 2, because it means when we write our own DC comic, we can have the return of Rokar and having teaming up with John Jones across the multiversal divide.
1: How exciting.
2: Maybe involve the adult Robin of Earth 2 mm-hmm. and the more junior college age Robin of Earth 1 at that point, maybe, or maybe even Nightwing by that point, by the time we write. That could be interesting. I would like that story. Anyway. That'd be very interesting. So... Shall we move on to our second adventure for this episode?
1: You took the words right out of my mouth.
2: <laughs> John Jones, a Martian Mariner, as we all know him, Mariner from Mars, very successful run in Detective Comics all the way from issue two hundred and twenty-five all the way up to issue three hundred and twenty-six. But then he popped over to House of Mystery with issue one hundred and forty-three in April nineteen sixty-four, and he was there all the way up until issue one hundred and seventy-three. And it's quite interesting because he was, you know, the cover feature a lot of the time. But then latterly he shared the space with Robbie Reed's Dial H for Hero. But it's very interesting reading through his stories. For the time, especially compared to even to some of the more recent Superman family stories we've done, there's a real sophistication to the stories. There's an ongoing arc towards Ender John's run that deals with something called the idol head of Diabolu, which I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail on. It's a thing which can create monsters and stuff out of nowhere but once a month and causes trouble. And it's interesting because for the longest time, John Jones operates as police detective John Jones. And there's an issue in this ongoing House of Mystery storyline where police detective John Jones essentially gets killed off. Yeah. John pulls a trick to make everyone think that John Jones has died and it allows him to kind of keep doing what what he needs to be doing. But it was quite interesting that this this character was killed off. Mm -hmm. And then John takes on another almost secret identity, a guy called Marco Xavier, because what John sees is Marco Xavier's car going off a cliff. John sees that Marco Xavier is dead and then basically adopts his personality and persona as another secret identity. And that runs through the, the rest of his sort of House of Mystery story, because he eventually deals with the idle head at one point. But what's interesting with the, the Marco Xavier stuff is that he's fighting against a baddie called Mr. V in this organisation Vulture, and then it gets revealed that Mr. V is actually the original, the real Marco Xavier. Gasp. There's a point when someone says, I can't remember if it's Sean himself, but someone says... The policeman who said Marco Xavier was dead got it wrong. And you sort of go, it wasn't a policeman. John saw his car go off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) So there's some really shoddy continuity there. But the solo John Jones stories through House of Mystery are a lot of fun. They've been collected in a couple of Showcase Presents volumes. Yeah. I was tracking down. I inadvertently collected a whole bundle of them when I was collecting all the Robbie Reid House of Mystery stories last year. So I've been dipping into them and they're a lot of fun. But in this big long run of stories in House of Mystery, Sean Jones, the Manhunt from Mars had quite a few adventures in other dimensions. And with a few to choose from, We've decided to do, as an example of John's adventures in House of Mystery, and because he's a character that you know, I think we both quite like. We're doing mm-hmm. the John story now from issue 151 of House of Mystery, so it's another flashback type situation. We're flashing back to the 1st of April, 1965, and we're going to do the cover story from this issue. Pete, say, do you want to tell us about the cover?
0: Yes. We have the House of Mystery logo at the top, and underneath it says a two-part adventure featuring the Martian Manhunter in Doom from Two Worlds. Doom from where? Two Worlds. Two Worlds.
2: Oh, there you go, listeners. That might have fed into my my reasoning for why we should do this one.
1: Yes. I think I mentioned this one in our Supergirl of Two Worlds story way back, but obviously we're covering it in in much more depth now. So the rest of the cover is split into two on the left-hand side, we have Martian Manhunter's sidekick, Zook, being menaced by a giant energy being who kind of looks a bit like Negative Man, really, as if Negative Man was slightly demonic.
2: I was struck by it. it you know, to me, it looks like a cross between like, the Human Torch and the Dread Dormammu. If-
1: yes, I can see that. Huh?
2: From Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. And we should probably describe Zook for the listeners, Pitsy.
1: Zook is a diminutive orange creature. He has two antennae, big eyes and a big open mouth, and he has spiky black hair. Yes. No, And Zook is looking at this being and thinking... Another evil menace from the Diabolo head, and Manhunter has disappeared! Gosh. Another side of the cover, we have Martian Manhunter, and he is being shot at by two aliens. Very odd-looking aliens with kind of almost Doctor Fate helmet-shaped heads, but they're blue. Yes. Weird big
2: eyes, yes.
1: And they're shooting at uh, Martian Manhunter, and it's causing him to transform. Indeed, he's thinking... I'm being changed into a weird creature trapped in this dimensional world.
2: Gosh, how exciting.
1: And indeed, this blast from this ray gun is turning him into some kind of combination between X-Men's The Beast and... Yeah, it's like a big purple griffin. Yes, that's probably the best way to put it. It's like a big purple griffin, except he's got more of a goofy face. It's not a lion head to him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Kind of talons and stuff. It's very interesting. Mm. It's a fun story. So, as we say, House of Misty 151 from April sixty five. We're going to jump straight into it. Um, The opening splash panel has the John Jones Manhunter from Mars logo at the top and a large caption box
0: that says, Two fantastic creatures threaten the downfall of the famed Manhunter from Mars and the destruction of Earth. Hurtled into another dimension, while battling one menace, John Jones seems destined to be trapped there, unable to cope with the the doom doom from two worlds. worlds. Part 1.
2: So yes, this large opening splash panel shows bullets. We see one of the blue-winged, purple griffin creatures that we saw John turn into in the cover. It appears to be firing a green bolt of energy into the sky, which has caused a massive, circular, rippling, multicoloured tear to appear. Zook is in the foreground of the panel, holding his hand up to his head in a comedy Oh my God! type style, and he's proclaiming Eek! Watch out, Manhunter! Creature blast open warp! Oh, too late! Yes, it looks as though John's in trouble, so we shall jump into the story properly. The caption for the first panel on page two says...
0: On a remote beach, Zook, John Johnsy's other-dimensional ally, worriedly searches the area.
2: This is a very serene-looking situation. I quite like to go there on my summer holidays, listeners. Trees by the water and lots of rocks. Looks very nice. Zook looks perplexed and thinks... Where's Manhunter? He knew full moon coming tonight! An idle head of Diabolo will open! Yes, this is what happens. The idle head of Diabolo sort of splits open and weird stuff happens, listeners. That's really all you need to know, but I would strongly encourage you to (laughs) seek these stories out because they're fantastic. Just the sense of the ongoing narrative and the threat and the variety of the the monsters and scary stuff that goes on, for the time, they're grossly overlooked, I think. Anyway, caption for panel two says... Suddenly... A very moody-looking, unshaven, dark-haired man in a white t-shirt and brown trousers has appeared behind Zook, and he says... Any sign of that idle head, Zook? Zook's head swells round as he sees this figure, and he thinks, Eek! Who he?
0: As if in an answer to the unspoken question.
2: Yeah, and in a very Doomlord-type transition, this moody-looking beachcomber guy transforms into the more familiar figure of John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. Zook proclaims, Manhunter! And John
1: replies, Had you worried, didn't I, Zook? There's not much time left. The next panel, we see John pointing out to sea. And very helpfully, he says, I'm afraid we've failed. I've seen no sign of that evil Diabolu head and the full moon is coming up.
2: Yes, take a drink, listeners. There we go. Very moody panel, actually, with him standing on the beach and, and deep shadow
0: as the moon starts to appear over the ocean. Caption of the final panel of page two. At that moment, an ominous shadow is cast across the beach and the sound of loud flapping is heard as... Yes, bearing down from the sky, it's the tusked...
2: Clawed, blue-winged, purple griffin-type creature that we saw on the cover and in the splash panel. Zook and John, John see him. Zook exclaims, "Eek! Look, Manhunter! Evil from Idlehead come ahead of schedule, even before full moon out."
0: Caption for the first panel on page three. Without warning, the strange creature strikes.
2: Yeah, it's almost like a burst of red energy comes from its head, strikes the ground with a crash. Zook jumps out the way, crying,
1: "Eek!" John thinks. Great cosmic clouds! That creature sure
0: has an evil eye.
2: Yeah, that's obviously where it seems to be coming from. Caption for panel two says:
0: As the creature swoops down on its helpless target.
2: Yes, the creature zooms down towards Zook, who's down on the ground looking behind him, and he cries, "Help, manhunter!" Sean grabs a
0: massive boulder, thinking Zook tripped. There's no time to lose. Martian muscles bulge and the Manhunter's aim is unerring as...
2: Yes, very helpfully. John throws the boulder at the precise time that the blue griffin guy fires his deadly beam. And with a crunch, the boulder explodes, giving Zook time to get free. The caption for the next panel says...
0: The throw is followed by a mighty leap.
2: And Zook cries, Go get him, Manhunter! As John leaps up into the sky towards the blue griffin, And a mighty blow! John strikes a left hook. And with a rawr, the blue creature goes flying. Caption for the first panel on page four. But next instant. From the creature's other eye, it must be said, a bolt of green energy strikes the sky behind the Martian Manhunter and there's a massive rip sound effect as a tear appears in the sky and a whirling kaleidoscope of blue and red and yellow appears. Zook cries from the ground, Manhunter, watch out! Warp and space open up! Caption for panel two, though. But Zook's warning comes too late, as Jean is drawn into the kaleidoscopic, swirling mess in the sky. The blue griffin creature flies up towards Zook, grabs his head, and cries, "Come back, Manhunter! Come back! Creature after you!"
0: But little Zook's cries are in vain.
2: Yes, as a full moon looms in the background, the blue wing creature flies towards the sky warp. Zook stands on the beach and thinks, for for first time, evil of Diabolo has has defeated Manhunter. Meanwhile, John is falling through a stream of red-blue-green-yellow rings
1: against a dark-black background, and he thinks, I I seem to be in some other-dimensional world. Suddenly, through the kaleidoscopic colour
2: mess in the sky, the blue-winged griffin follows after him, and from its right eye shoots a burst of red energy, that strikes John with a crash. John thinks,
1: That creature is still after me, and... Beam of his sure packs a mighty wallop. It would pulverise anyone but me. Okay, we arrive on page five.
0: Deftly docking under another red beam blast, the Martian marvel swiftly hurtles beneath the confused creature and... So
2: John zooms forward as the beast's energy blast strikes the ground. John grabs the wind griffin guy by the feet, starts twirling him around, thinking... It's
1: time I knocked
2: the
0: wind out of you.
2: Capture for Battle two. Then, letting go... Yes, with a crash, predictably, the blue griffin guy collides with the ground.
0: To Manhunter's astonishment, however...
2: Yes, the creature's back on its feet. It blasts another bolt of red energy with a crack that strikes the ground behind John, who thinks...
1: There's still plenty of fight in that creature. I'll
0: really have to rip into him.
2: And this panel also shows us a house of some form. Looks actually like a big fancy modern build church that you would get in a, in a Glaswegian Newtown.
1: I thought it looked like a ski chalet.
2: Yeah, that sort of thing in the distance behind it. it reminds me very much of a big church I used to see in Glenburn when I was younger, but anyway. Yeah, okay. Caption for panel four then says,
0: But the Manhunter must make a quick change of plans when...
2: John has noticed that the, the tree which he ducked in front of, which was zapped by the crack blast in the previous panel, has started to fall. Either the tree's massive or this house, the perspective in this other dimension is
1: very odd. John flies up towards the falling tree thinking, Great stars! If that tree hits
0: that house, it will pulverise it, and anyone who may be inside... Caption for the final panel of page five. Like a meteor streaking through the skies, John Jones whizzes through the air until... John whooshes
2: through the air and catches the tree, managing to rescue the house. Yes, the perspective is way off here. It's very unusual. I think there's strange things afoot in this odd dimension. The caption then to the first panel of page six says...
0: Enraged, the creature hurtles after Manhunter...
2: It's less of a sort of griffin in this panel because we can see it walking on its hind legs now that it's not flying, but its blue wings are behind it. It's marching after John. In the foreground of the panel, we see the aforementioned blue Doctor Fate helmet-type aliens that Pete described from the cover. They seem to be watching what's going on. The Martian monitor, as he puts the tree trunk down on the ground, thinks,
1: Huh.
0: These strange beings from this dimension, they're aiming a weapon at me. Next instant, a powerful force streaks toward him, and...
2: Yes, the alien is fired. There's a bzzzt sound effect as John gets struck with a bolt of pink energy. He recoils,
0: thinking... Great cosmic clouds! What's hitting me? And then the caption for the next panel says... An unknown power seizes the hapless Martian as... Something odd happens. John thinks... I'm being transformed into... into
1: a, a creature, the same kind that's attacking me.
2: Yes, and just like we saw on the cover, John has been transformed into the purple-skinned, tusked, wide-eyed, blue-winged, scary monster. He gets a close-up in the next panel, as he thinks.
1: And I I can't seem to use my powers to change back to my own identity. Uh Uh-oh. Captioning of
2: the final panel page six says... Suddenly, a ear splitting blast fills the air and... There's a massive crash as the creature that John was just fighting against has caught up to him and fired its right eye red beam at him. It strikes John's new wing. John thinks,
1: I may as well put my creature
2: powers to work. And in the first panel page seven, after a caption that says, At once, duplicate blasts explode as... John fires back at the creature that was fighting him. Two massive crash sound effects... As John recoils from the one that strikes him
0: and thinks, Great stars, I could take these bolts better as Jean-Jeans. The transformed manhunter is hurled back some distance where... Yes, we see his head
2: spinning as he is approached by the two blue aliens who we saw firing on him earlier. As he struggles to get himself back to normal, John is thinking,
0: Must clear my head.
1: And Helpfully
2: the caption of the next panel says,
0: He rises shakily to his creature legs when...
2: Yes, we see get a really good look at the new aliens here. They have white boots, white gloves, wear white trunks. Very odd combination of the Easter Island statues and Dr. Fate's helmet for a head. And the gun that they're bearing is a traditional sort of handle. There's a large, shiny yellow globe and then the barrel protrudes from it. They're marching towards the transformed John Jones in panel three as John thinks.
1: These aliens aiming their weapon at me. They changed me into this creature form and no doubt intend to kill
0: me now and... In this form, they can. Gosh. Aiming his own destructive eye carefully, Manhunter releases a powerful beam and...
2: Yes, with a crash, a burst of red energy fires from his right eye, strikes the ground in front of the aliens. As he does this, John thinks,
1: Good shot, if I do say so myself. And now to find out what this is all about. But as he starts to lumber forward... What looks like a jagged,
2: a very jaggedy speech bubble seems to be coming from the head of the first alien, as he says, Stop! We're your friends. Big, buff, muscly, transformed John
1: Jones thinks. They're communicating telepathically with me. Good. I'll be able to give them a piece of my mind. And he continues in the first panel of page 8. If you are my friends, as you claim, why did you change me to this form? To protect you. We feared that creature would kill you, so we made you its match. What what are you saying? that You you transformed that creature from, from something else? The way you did it to me? Exactly. That's interesting because the oddly shaped alien points to a couple
2: of weird red lizards that are on the ground as he continues. We hoped, with the molecular scramble ray, to produce a powerful beast of burden, using one of our numerous small groundhoppers as a guinea pig. Unfortunately, we had no way to control it. Close-up of scary alien John thinks.
1: Great stars, then that creature wasn't an evil from the Diabolu idol. Some other menace must be threatening Earth right now. So the second alien speaks in
2: the next panel, saying,
1: We just transformed the beast back to its original form as a groundhopper while you were trying to recover your senses. We did it by hitting it with the freeze ray. Instant deep
2: freeze, which reverses the process. And we see what looks like a giant block of ice in front of the two aliens and the transformed Jean. And inside this block of ice, we see another one of the blue griffin creatures changing back into the little red lizard type guy that we saw, which we now know is called a groundhopper. First alien continues in the final panel of page eight. We were coming toward you to do exactly that when you hit us with your red beam and damaged the reverse mechanism.
1: Hmm. And how long will it take you to repair it?
2: Why, not very long, perhaps... Half an hour or
1: more. What? That's too long. I've got to get back to my own world right away.
2: It looks as though the aliens are already starting to have a look at the the equipment in the the second panel of page nine, as John continues and says,
1: I've got to open up the warp to my dimension in this creature form. Keep working on that thing. I'll be back.
2: Yep, so the aliens get to work. A caption for the next panel says,
0: Meanwhile, back on Earth, the dread idol head of Diabolu has already opened.
2: Yes, we see the skull-like statue. It's opened up like a cheap pedal bin and a burst of flames has come out of the top of its head. Captioned for the final panel of page nine says,
0: And a fantastic fire creature has hurtled forward on a grim mission of destruction.
2: Very much like a kind of dark black cross between the human torch and negative man. As a full moon looms in the background, this creature flies off into the sky. The rest of this page is rounded out with um, a very nice DC house advertisement for strange adventures the Prisoner in Cell Block 7, and the Faceless People. So there we go, very nearly the faceless ones. Interesting. So, tiny caption says, continue the third page following. We pass a one-page gag strip. We pass an advertisement for a model of the monster's car, an advertisement for Palisades Amusement Park, and as we arrive at the top of page 10, a caption says,
0: The The Doom doom from from Two two Worlds, Part part 2. Released from the idol head of Diabolu, the strange fireball creature goes into action.
2: It's massive. It looks huge. It's really large up in the sky. And it's striking a a little house that seems to be there and setting it on fire. Zook is on the scene. He watches this happening and he thinks, Eek! That thing, it's set afire anything it touches. It's a close-up in the next panel where he looks very concerned and thinks, Maybe it is evil from Diabolu. But then what was the beast that defeated defeat Manhunter? The big fire creature whooshes past Zook. In the next panel, Zook recoils and thinks, Eek! It, e- it even too hard for me, and it growing bigger. The caption then for the first panel of page 11 says,
0: Seemingly bent only on mass destruction, the fireball creature swoops down.
2: Yeah, it stretches out. It's very strange. Stretching over a forest, Zook runs after it, thinking, that thing turned whole world ablaze before it finished, and Manhunter not here to stop it. Just then? Zook looks up and notices a burning branch falling from a tree and striking another house. Zook thinks, eek, that cottage start burning. In the next panel, Zook is rushing towards the, the burning building. Lots of smoke starting to develop now, as he thinks. That one fire, maybe I can do something about.
0: Instance later, Zook uses his amazing ability to turn frigid, and as the Arctic waves reach the roof... Yeah, Zook has turned blue, and is generating a burst
2: of cold energy, and we see that there's ice forming all over the burning house. Zook thinks, There! I make cakes of ice around flames! Well done, Zook. However, the caption for the final panel of page 11 says... But... Yes, we can see that the fire has taken hold. and The woods are on fire. Zook, still tinted blue thinks. Not even I can put out a a whole forest fire! (sighs) Oh, dearie me. So, the first panel of page 12 is captioned.
0: Suddenly, an ear-splitting crack fills the air as... A massive
2: boom sound effect fills the air as another circular, kaleidoscopically colourful dimensional warp appears. A winged purple and blue creature flies through and Zook thinks. Oh, no! That other creature back again! Double trouble! And as the creature hurtles through the warp... Zook starts to leg it as the blue-winged creature flies after him, and the blue-winged creature is thinking...
0: Poor
1: Zook. He thinks I'm the other creature he saw chasing me through the warp, and, in this form,
0: I can't speak to him. But wait! Maybe I can. Capture for panel three. Aiming his eyes at a near-distant hillside... John Jones begins blasting red beams at his target. That caption
2: very helpfully describes what's going on. Zook exclaims, "Ha!" Huh? As the red beams strike the hillside, and the words "Zook, take it" start to appear. As the amazing message is completed, yes, another blast strikes the hillside, and the words are fully revealed as "Zook, take it easy." Zook himself cries, "Manhunter, second time you fool me, but hurry, change back." Terrible thing happen! Fireball creature! Come out of Diabolo! And... and we're interrupted from Zook's cries here as Jean thinks...
1: He doesn't realise I can't transform back to my own identity.
2: Gosh. Caption for the final panel of page 12. Just then... Yes. The big scary fire creature zooms past, flies overhead. Jean can see it and he thinks...
1: Great cosmic clouds. So that's the present the idle head of Diabolo gave us this month. So we arrive at the top of page 13.
2: The
0: captain of the first panel says... Flapping his powerful creature wings, Manhunter catapults himself to within range of the enemy and... He fires one of the red bolts
2: of energy from his right eye. With a crack, it strikes the fire creature. And John thinks... That should take care of you. In the next panel, he's still in this weird transformed shape and he flies down, firing off more eye beams into the ground, thinking...
1: I've got to seal off this burning area of the woods to prevent it from spreading.
2: The next panel's probably gonna go in the socials because it's really cool. It's a nice montage of him flying above the fire line, blasting with his red eye beam, striking the ground with a crack,
1: crack, crack, as he thinks. That should end the danger. And now to let Zook know I must return to the other dimension. The caption, however, for
2: panel four says.
1: But before he can carry out his plan Uh oh. John thinks Great sons, that fireball creature is hard to beat.
2: Yes, because the fire creature has come back, it's flying up in front of John. The caption for the final panel of page 13 says Once again, a mighty blast from his eye, but There's another burst of right eye red energy and another crack sound effect and yeah, the fireball creature goes swirling away, but John thinks Oh
1: no, all I'm doing is hurling it back where it can set off fresh fires. There's no way to stop it.
0: Things are not looking good. The first caption to page 14 says Racking his brain for an answer, Manhunter suddenly hits upon a daring plan. John's not going to share his full details of his plan just yet, but he does think... But first I'll
1: have to get that fireball nightmare into the other dimension.
2: Yes, so John, picking up on what the other creature did earlier on, fires a burst of green energy from his left eye, there's a boom in the sky as another colourful dimensional warp opens behind the fire creature and draws it in, the capture for panel two. Next instant. Yes, the fire creature is being drawn into the dimensional warp, John, still in his transformed shape, flies after it thinking, Must follow it in before the warp closes. And then with a PLOP sound effect in the next panel, that's what happens. The dimension warp closes, Zook is left behind and he thinks, There go Manhunter back again! What? What going on? It's a shame he's not looking at the camera for that, actually. <laughs> That'd be quite effective. <laughs> Caption for panel four.
0: Meanwhile, in the other dimension...
2: The colourful warp has opened in the other dimension and the fire creature has emerged. The two aliens who we met earlier on are standing there, and the first alien cries, What is that?
0: The awesome answer comes next instant.
2: Yes, the creature looks enormous in this panel. It's looming over some of the alien cities, and it looks like it's going to set them on fire. The alien cries, it, it will burn our world to cinders! Gosh! We arrive at the top of page 15. The caption for the first panel says,
0: But next moment, an urgent thought is received telepathically as... Transformed John flies down
2: towards the two aliens, and he thinks, That device of yours, is it repaired? And the first alien replies, Yes, here, it's all set for the reverse ray, but, but... Without
0: pausing to explain, Manhunter swoops down, and... He grabs the gun,
2: flies off, we see the flame creature looming up before him. The alien cries, That, that fire creature, it's heading for you!
0: Manhunter takes swift
2: aim, and... Fires the gun with a massive... Pss- sound effect, a burst of blue electrical energy surrounds the creature. Then... And we see that the fire creature is now trapped within a large block of ice, just like we saw earlier on in the story. Manhunter
1: stands on the ground and he thinks, I guess a ray 25,000 degrees below zero can put out almost any fire, or fire creature. He turns to
2: the blue aliens uh, in the final panel of page 15, hands them the weapon and says, And
1: now, friends... If you will, kindly change me back to my original identity. And the alien replies, gladly. So we arrive at the top of page 16. And so in
2: panel one, we see the alien firing its weapon and it says, I don't know what good this will do. But we see John inside the big ice cube effect, transforming back from the purple creature of blue wings to his normal form, the green skinned, blue caped, Familiar, John Jones, One Hunter from Mars. The caption for panel two says, Shortly... John is marching towards the two aliens. One of the aliens says, Only the creature had the power to open the warp
1: into your world. How will you return to your own dimension? John replies, By changing back to the creature myself. It's a little power of my own I didn't have time to tell you about before. And before their startled eyes... He's
2: changed himself back into the creature. And sure enough, John morphs into the purple creature with the tusks and the blue wings, saying,
1: Yes, but this way I have the power to become myself when I return to my world. And the final caption of the final panel says,
2: And before long... We're back in our own dimension. There's a colourful kaleidoscope whirling in the sky as a purple creature emerges from it and then transforms back into the familiar shape of the Manhunter from Mars. Zook is there to, to greet him and delightfully cries... I sure be glad to see you again, Manhunter, as you. And a tiny caption says, The, the end. end. Well then, Peetzy, what do you think of that?
1: That was a daft bit of hokum, yes.
2: <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yes. That was great fun. Do you know I think that might be the first time I've actually read a Zook story properly? Isn't
1: that bad? <laughs> Yeah, it was good fun. It was good fun. It's an interesting use of Jean's powers, the fact that they give him the abilities of whatever he transforms into mm. in this, because obviously he's got the dimensional capabilities of that creature. So does that mean he can yes. transform into that creature again and then use those abilities again? Possibly. I would think so. If he turned into Superman, would he have the abilities of Superman? I know he's got roughly that, but would he have the invulnerability to fire? Yeah.
2: I mean, he's, Yeah, we should talk about that, actually. His power... That's one thing that's always amused me about the Martian Manhunter mm. is that his powers are off the charts. Yes. <laughs> you know, transformation, flight, strength, blah, 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 all of mm. that.
1: Invisibility, shape change you know, it's, it's all telepathy, telepathy. That's a good question. Mm. Maybe
2: if we ever read another story that he's actually in, we might get an answer to that. I don't know. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's an, it's nice to have a little sample of what was going on with the, the Martian Manhunter during this period because he's, a, he's quite a well-known character. You know, yeah. in the sort of the modern era he's probably a bit more active and visible than he was certainly during the Bronze Age. Yeah. And he's been active in a lot of stories which we haven't read. I think the only time we really we've seen him was in the 1st GLA JLA-JSA team-up. So it's mm-hmm. nice to to at least talk about him and get an idea of what he was up to. And it's nice just to see another story with another dimension that has the word Two Worlds in the title. Of course,
0: we had to do <laughs> That's it. That's always fun. Yeah.
2: The prep and research I was doing for this episode is, all, is already treatment, but I think I'm definitely going to dig out and read the other House of Mystery genre stories that I've got just to get a bit more of that Zook action, because that was a lot of fun. It was light and frothy and much more straightforward to read <laughs> than the Batman. <laughs> (laughs) story (laughs) yeah very much so
1: Uh sadly there's no reader reaction for either of these stories which is a shame because i'd like to know what people thought about them at the time
2: absolutely i mean we can only really speculate on on how well received john jones was doing because Mm -hmm. you know he lasted in house of mystery you know roughly about what 30 issues 30 issues exactly more or less and, and only really stopped at the same time as dial age for hero because as we've discussed House of Mystery was transformed into the horror anthology, you mm-hmm. know, as we talked about recently. So it's yeah. quite a lot of the, the superhero features were being phased out remember this time because you know, Black Cop was cancelled, mm-hmm. Doom Patrol was gone, Challengers didn't have too long at this point. Yep. It's, it's quite interesting. Tastes were definitely changing. So it's nice to just go back and have this kind of, as you said, yeah. fun and frothy story with a nice little cute alien psychic.
1: Silver Age silliness. Yeah. Great fun. that's what we thought about these stories what did you think about them please get in touch you can email us at the earth2podcast at gmail.com make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some interesting bonus material for this very episode and indeed all our episodes on Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2.
2: Yep, check out the Instagram and Facebook. We'll be sticking up some lots of Sean Jones bonus content. And if you'd like us to maybe do one of the other other dimensional adventures that Sean had in House of Mystery as a flashback episode at some point, do let us know, because I'd quite like to. I might have to twist Peter's arm into doing it, but you never know. He might let me. We'll see what we happens. We shall see. We but yes, see. do get in touch. If you're feeling generous, you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and give us an encouraging and positive review. If you're feeling even more generous, you go to our coffee page and buy the price of a beverage, which will help pay for all of that electricity that Peter uses editing these episodes.
1: Indeed, yes. (laughs) And on that bombshell, (laughs) I've been Peter,
2: and I've been David, and we'll see you next time
0: on The The Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime.
2: We can see the back... I he said Batgirl, (laughs) we can see Batgirl looming in the sky.